Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. Welcome, everybody. So I um, I wrote today the title for today's talk, recognizing our innate perfection. Um, and I was looking at it last night, and I thought, um, I'm going to change the title. <laughs> <laughs> Recognizing our innate perfection. Um, I don't think I'm qualified to, like, yeah, I'm going to, we're going to recognize it right here. But trusting in it, like trusting in our innate perfection is definitely something that I would like to discuss as a group today, trusting in our innate perfection. I think it's interesting. I, I've always, I've always enjoyed looking at uh, watching athletes, <clears throat> for example, successful people, and looking at their their confidence. <clears throat> excuse me, their confidence level, people with high confidence. It's really interesting to watch. As many of you know, I follow motorcycle racing as I was raised riding motorcycles. And I find it interesting when I watch the races that there's always such high confidence, even with the guys that are obviously not as skilled. And they, they, they will interview them after the race, and they just get whooped, you know. And they say, you know, how did it go? They said, well... You know, I think if I go back, I train a little harder. If I change a couple things on the bike, you know, next race, I think we're going to be really close. And this is like year after year, they're still like in 10th place, you know. <laughs> but they're still they're really close, you know. And, um, you know, I find that inspiring, really. It's really inspiring. I feel like if you're going to do something like that, you should believe in yourself 110%. Like this is, I could do it. I could absolutely do it, no matter what. And I feel like in in our practice, like we're we're practicing too, like we're practicing to to access our innate happiness. <clears throat> and if you're like me, maybe you've been whooped, you know. <laughs> and maybe your confidence has been shaken, right? You know, and I know for me, <clears throat> I felt times in my life, may, maybe many of you have, maybe Tenzin now, because when I was, like, in high school, a teenager, I was, like, invincible. Like, I was absolutely invincible. Like, I just felt emotionally, like, no, nothing could bring me down. I'm totally fine, you know? <laughs> and then luckily... So, you know, being, you know, feeling the sense of, you know, being invincible and then having, uh, especially you know, after years of practice, being completely beat down by life, just being overthrown by my thoughts, by my, my emotions, and just thinking, wow, all the work that I've done, sitting on the cushion and uh, the retreats, all this stuff, but I'm still being overthrown by my thoughts and emotions. I still believe in them, right? 
And then where do we go from there? Like, how do we get back into trusting that we already are this magnificence? And again, many of you have probably seen glimpses of that deep in meditation or maybe just through grace, right? Just seeing glimpses of that. And those could, feel few, those could feel like they're few and far between. So today, one of the reasons why I brought a lot of books <laughs> is that, you know, I was looking at the definition of a fact. I said, you know, what, what's a fact? And I forget the exact definition, but obviously they said if there's so many resources and, and uh, opinions about something that is, is definitely like this, then it definitely has to be like this, right? So they talk about, is climate change, you know, a fact? Well, 97% of scientists say it's a fact, so, you know, this is, you know, it's factual at some certain point. And so if we look at the saints and sages and realized beings from all times and all religions, and they keep saying the same things over and over and over again, then it becomes factual, right? Analytically factual. <clears throat> and so for me, I've rested in, in that. I was an insatiable seeker, insatiable seeker. I want to know where was this truth? Where was this God? Where was this what? Where, where is it? And what is it? And so I would read absolutely everything, everything, anywhere that I can get my hands on. I would just you know, check out stacks and stacks of books at the library and of course, they said all to say the same thing, which is stop reading books <laughs> and look within, right? But I was too lazy, so I just kept reading, reading books. But eventually, it started to sink in that even though I couldn't see it, that it was there. You know, they liken this. They say, you know, if the sun is shining really brightly outside and you close the blinds, even though if you close the blinds as tight as you can close them, there's still a little bit of light shining in, right? There's still a little bit there. So even if we can't see it, you know, the light is still shining. Right? We just have to look. And I think that what's most important about this is that the way that we're approaching our practice is not one that we're broken and that we need to be fixed. It's that we're completely whole and we just have to remember. Because we have to be very courageous, we have to be very vulnerable when we do our practice. And we have to allow these really sensitive parts of ourselves to be looked at. But we're not doing it out of fear or out of, from, a, from a place of fear. We're doing it out of, out of a place of absolute confidence that we could hold it. We're doing it from a place of space, like space could hold a trillion stars, right? Space is, space is infinite. We could hold everything, that little emotion that arises, just a tiny little planet in the, in the inf infinity, or in the infinite space, right? Space could hold everything. So doing it with that, um, with that remembrance. Or knowing. So I'm going to go through and maybe, probably hopefully for you, maybe not get to everything. <laughs> not to overwhelm. But just, you know, as you, there's just a little snippet from, from each of these sources. But just letting it just 
just letting it land. And these are things that you've all heard before, nothing new, right? But just letting it land, letting it sink in just one more time, right? So this first one, I've, I've mentioned her. Um, her name's Anita Morjani. I might be saying that wrong. Dying to be me. This is a woman, I, I share her TED Talk. And um, she was dying of cancer for years and had a near-death experience. And she was like 80-something pounds. She was just she open sores all over her body, massive tumors. And she went into a coma right before they thought you know, she was dying. And she had this near-death experience and came back. And within five weeks, as soon as she opened her eyes, she said, I'm going to be totally fine. She told the doctors, I'm going to be totally fine. And they looked at her like she was crazy. And um, in five weeks, she walked out of the hospital cancer-free. Yeah, so I'm just going to read to her, read to you. This person asked her, if there were a message or a lesson from your NDE that you wish everyone could know or understand, something that you wish you could shout out from the rooftops, what would that be? I would want you to know that every part of you is magnificent. Your ego, intellect, body, and spirit. It's who you are, a beautiful product of the universe's creation. Every aspect of you is perfect. There's nothing to let go, nothing to forgive, nothing to attain. You already are everything you need to be. It could be so complicated, but it's not. If a religion makes you feel lesser than its deities, then you've misinterpreted it, or it's not doing a good job of teaching you the truth. If a guru, teacher, or master makes you feel that you aren't yet enlightened and still have more to learn, to release, or let go of before getting there, then they're not doing a good job of teaching you who you truly are, or you're misunderstanding them. Remind everyone close to you to be themselves and tell them that you love them just the way that they are. They're perfect, and so are you. There's nothing not to love. Most suffering stems from you feeling less than. You aren't less than anything or anyone. You are complete. The only thing you need to learn is that you already are what you're seeking to attain. Just express your uniqueness fearlessly with abandon. That's why you're made the way that you are. And that's why you're here in the physical world. Beautiful, right? Yes. We forget this <laughs> so often. <clears throat> it's from a book. I am Nat from Nizadagata. He's a, a, math, a master from the non-dual school of Advaita in India. Papaji, Ramana are from the same lineage. And here he's talking about the inner guru. Does the inner guru also teach? A, somebody asks him a question. A question. He answers, he grants the conviction that you are, are the eternal, changeless, reality-conscious love within and beyond all appearances. The questioner says, is a, a conviction is not enough. There must be certainty. He says, you are quite right, but in the case of certainty, it takes the shape of courage. Fear ceases, ceases absolutely. This state of fearlessness 
is so unmistakably new, yet felt deeply as one's own, that it cannot be denied. It is like a loving it is like loving one's own child. Who can doubt it? So this certainty takes the shape of courage. Fear ceases absolutely. The state of fearlessness is so unmistakably new, yet it's felt deeply as one's own that it cannot be denied. It is like loving one's own child. Who can doubt it? And when the teachers, you know, when I was reading, you know, for this talk, when the teachers are talking about, you know, trusting in our innate perfection again and again, it comes back to love and courage. You know, loving ourselves unconditionally and courage. Like when we have, when we even ruminate on this through analytical meditations, we, we have courage to let be, right? To let everything settle in its natural place. This is all that we're doing is not touching and not reifying, not making something out of nothing, even a self out of nothing, right? Because if we have a self, a permanent self, that self could be taken away, could be harmed. But we can't be harmed. So having that faith. This is Vivekananda, another non-dual teacher. Really beautiful, beautiful saying. And in the midst of the depths of misery and degradation, the soul sends a ray of light and man wakes up and finds that what is really his, he can never lose. No, we can never lose what is really ours. Who could lose his being? Who can lose his very existence? Therefore, there is hope for all. None can die. None can be degraded forever. Life is but a playground. However gross the play may be, however we may receive blows, and however knocked about we may be, the soul there is never injured. We are that infinite. God is true. The universe is a dream. Blessed am I that I know this moment that I shall be free all eternity, that I know that I am worshiping only myself, that no nature, no delusion had any hold on me, Banish nature from me, banish these gods, banish worship, banish superstitions, for I know myself. I am the infinite. All these, Mr. So-and-so, Mrs. So-and-so, responsibility, happiness, misery have vanished. I am the infinite. How can there be death for me or birth? How shall I fear? I am the one. Of whom shall I fear? I am the one. Shall I be afraid of myself? Who is to be afraid of whom? I am the one. Existence. Nothing else exists. I'm everything. I'm just kind of sprinkle a little bit in of you know how to go about this. Like I said, like love and courage, and and I think the courage comes when we're doing wisdom practices, insight practices. When we're meditating on breath, we call this a wisdom practice because that's where insight comes from, right? When the mind is settled in samadhi in a full concentration absorption, then we could allow insights to come. But to do that, we have to have the courage to let things come and let things go. 
Like very simple sentence, extremely difficult to do. Let things come, let everything arise, and let everything go. Right? So, so this is when we practice mindfulness in those practices. This is one one way to rest in our true nature. The other way is through the heart practices, right? Heartfulness. And so this is more cultivating. Yeah, we're cultivating what we already are. All expansion is life. All contraction is death. Like when we're allowing everything to be, we're expanding into it, right? All love is expansion. All selfishness is contraction. Love is therefore the only law of life. He who loves lives. He who is selfish is dying. Therefore, love for love's sake, because it is the only law of life, just as you breathe to live. And this is it. Love everything. John Cabot Zen. Maybe you're all familiar with John Cabot Zen. Needs <laughs> no introduction, John Cabot Zen. In his full catastrophe of living this small little book, just actually the manual of MBSR, right? MBSR. This is about MBSR. Mindfulness-based stress reduction. And MBSR, you know, I really like teaching MBSR because it's, um, they call it like ninja dharma, right? It's like ninja, <laughs> it's like you're teaching this really deep dharma and you're teaching it in this really secular way and people have no idea the depths and then they start talking about their discoveries and you think you're, you're listening to a Zen master. They're just, they're telling you about their discoveries in this MBSR class, and if you record them and write them down, you think this person's an absolute sage, which of course they are, right? It's really quite amazing. So this is in the introduction of, a, of something of, you know, this manual for MBSR, right? But so profound. We routinely and unknowingly waste enormous amounts of energy in reacting automatically and unconsciously to the outside world and to our own inner experiences. Cultivating mindfulness means learning to tap into our focus and our own wasted energies. In doing so, we learn to calm down enough to center, I'm sorry, to enter and dwell in extended moments of deep well-being and relaxation, of feeling whole and wholly integrated as a person. This tasting and inhabiting of one's own wholeness nourishes and restores both the, bo- the body and mind. At the same time, it makes, us, it makes it easier for us to see with greater clarity the way we actually live and therefore how to make changes to enhance our health and the quality of our life. In addition, it helps us to channel our energy more effectively in stressful situations or when we're feeling threatened or helpless. This energy comes from inside us, and it is therefore always available to put us to put us to oh, available to us to be put to use to use wisely, especially if we cultivate it through training and personal practice. Cultivating mind, mindfulness can lead to the discovery of deep realms of well-being, calmness, clarity, and insight within yourself. It is as if you were to come upon a new territory previously unknown to you or only vaguely suspected, which contains a veritable wellspring of positive energy for self-understanding and healing. Moreover, it is easy to familiarize yourself with this territory and learn to (coughs) inhabit it more frequently. The path to it 
in any moment lies no further than your own body and mind and your own breathing. This domain of pure being, of wakefulness, is always accessible to you. It is always here, independent of your problems. Whether you are facing heart disease or cancer or pain or just a very stressful life, its energies can be of great value to you. It's beautiful that this domain of pure being, of wakefulness, is always accessible to you. Pure beingness to rest in our fearless nature. Again, this fearlessness, of course, when they ask Buddha, what have you gained from meditation? And he says, nothing. <laughs> but I've attained nothing, but I'll tell you what I've let go of. You know, I've let go of there's no more depression, no more anxiety. There's no more fear, no more fear of anything with life, no more fear of death, no more fear of the in-between state. How beautiful it would be to rest in fearlessness. Is there anything greater than that? So amazing. Adya Shanti, so he was, Adya was <clears throat> a Zen practitioner, and then he says, I woke up out of Zen. I woke up and I thought, Zen is not important. <laughs> the, the, the path is irrelevant, right? But it's how we get there. So he teaches more of a non-dual style these days. But really, like Trudy says about Adya, he practices ass off. Because <laughs> he talks about, hey, you know, you already are that. She's like, but he practiced hard. And he did. He practiced very, very hard. I think that when there is love in its truest sense, we are actually falling in love with our own self. We're falling in love with what our ego can't hold. When we can get past the business of being a separate somebody, when we are going to take back our true nature and take ownership of our self, capital S, so that we could actually look at the Buddha or the sacred figure of our own teacher and know directly and absolutely, this is me. It's the same. We can only do that when we have actually taken the richness totally back to ourselves and seen it as our own self. Then there is a great love and appreciation. That's when I have for my teacher. It's more like, thank you for holding my projection. Thanks for holding my enlightenment while I was busy pretending not to be enlightened. <laughs> Thanks for not holding on to it or owning it, but for giving it back. There is just so much love and gratitude here for that. Thanks for showing it to me. And that's the beautiful thing of, of teachers always seeing our perfected state. This is from a little-known book called the Bhagavad Gita. <laughs> Thank you, Krishna, for loaning this to me. It's been great to reread some of this. Yeah, this is so beautiful. So Krishna talking that the self cannot be perceived by weapons or burned by fire. Water cannot wet it, nor can the wind dry it. The self cannot be pierced or burned, made wet or dry. It is everlasting and infinite, standing on the motionless foundations of eternity. The self is unmanifested beyond all thought, beyond all change. Knowing this, you should not grieve. O mighty Arjuna, even if you believe 
the self to be subject to birth and death, you should not grieve. Death is inevitable for the living. Birth is inevitable for the dead. Since, there are, since these are unavoidable, you should not sorrow. Every creature is unmanifested at first and then attains manifestation. When its end has come, it is once again unmanifested. What is there to lament in this? The glory of the self is beheld by a few, and a few describe it, a few listen. But many without understanding, the self of all beings living within the body is eternal and cannot be harmed. Therefore, do not grieve. The self of all beings living within the body is eternal and cannot be harmed. Therefore, do not grieve. So we're seeing a common thread here, right? <laughs> Just one after another. You know how old the, the Gita is? Is it The Vedas are like, what, 3,000 years old. The Gita, it's very old, right? But when you look at these contemporary beings, Adi Ashante, Byron Katie's, you know, Nisargata, um, uh, you know, the woman who had the near-death experience, right? Saying the same thing thousands of years later, the same thing. Different faiths, different religions, different countries of origin, all that, right? Same, all the same stuff. Longchenpa, who's a Dzogchen master, um, you know, Tibetan Buddhist. Um, I'll just read a little snippet from this. Maybe not for this one. <laughs> it's a little esoteric. <clears throat> so, Mingyur Rinpoche, you know, Tibetan, Tibetan Buddhist, he talks about just how, he just talks a little story about letting be. He's talking here about Buddha moments, that we all have these Buddha moments that we can kind of connect to, right? I experienced one such Buddha moment during my first teaching tour here in California when people urged me to swim as a form of exercise. I didn't want to go, but my host had already set up an appointment at a local club, which was outfitted with an Olympic-sized pool. I jumped in and was immediately, and I was immediately a, a success <laughs> at swimming underwater, which is to say I sank like a stone. <laughs> I kept trying to push myself along underwater, but I couldn't last for more than a minute. My arms and legs got tired, and I couldn't hold my breath. Okay, I figured, you're being too tense, trying to accomplish something. So I let my muscles relax completely, floated up to the surface, and then again, very successful at sinking. And then I remembered something. As a child, I used to swim in a small pond near my home. It was not a very deep pond, and my swimming style wasn't exactly what you'd call elegant, just flapping along and dog paddling. <laughs> The people who'd brought me to the club were amused. One minute you were seeking, they said, and the next minute you were swimming. How'd you do that? He says, well, I remembered, I answered. For a moment, I was confused by the size of the pool. Then I remembered that I could swim. This experience is similar, perhaps on a small scale, to the recollection of the power and potential of our own Buddha nature. Deep within us lies the capacity for boundless wisdom capability and compassion 
we tend not to remember our ability until we're we are thrust into a sink or swim situation. And every meditation, we're thrusting ourselves in into a sink or swim situation a lot of times, right? Because it's like we could follow those emotions and go down that path of rumination, you know, or we could remember our Buddha nature and say, wait, I do not have to do anything. I'm going to arrive at love and safety, right? I could actually be with this. I could actually be fearless. Right now, I'm going to be okay. I cannot not be okay. It's my true nature is absolute okayness. You know, Minger Rinpoche one time talks about overcoming his lifelong anxiety. You know, it was up until a teenager, until he went into a three-year retreat, and had just severe anxiety, severe anxiety attacks. And he's supposed to be a, a Rinpoche, an incarnated being. He's like the seventh Rinpoche, so here he is having all these anxiety attacks. You know. So, you know, finally... It, you know, faced with this in three-year retreat, he just goes into retreat and just says, okay, I'm going to face this anxiety and, and was able to see past it. But he talks about just the satisfactory nature of, of happiness, just, just from this deep sense of happiness. And he says, that's just never gone away. He says, I just found something. And so even though my whole life I was just riddled with this anxiety and social anxiety, all this stuff, he tells a funny story of when you know, he was getting, they make a big deal when there's a, you're a Rinpoche and you're sitting up there in front of all these people and they're giving you all these things. And, um, and here he was in front of all these people just turning white, you know, with, <laughs> with fear and anxiety. You know, it's quite amazing. Um, probably what people were imputing onto him was something totally different than that, but that's what he was experiencing. Um, okay, one more. And then... I got through them all. Oh, this is um, Joseph Goldstein, a little book on mindfulness. Um, wonderful read, wonderful, um, broad yet deep view on mindfulness and basic Buddhist principles. Um, how many of you have read Joseph Goldstein before or know of Joseph Goldstein? Really amazing. He's one of my favorites. Um, you know, he's definitely a being that has had a true experience, and so he speaks from that place. He was actually in a Tibetan Buddhist gampa when he was—I forget how old—and somebody was just reading a passage from, I believe, it was a Nyingma, like a Longchenpa, something. And somebody just wrote, read the word. Everything is unborn and unmanifested, and in that moment, everything became unborn and unmanifested, and he just saw perfectly clearly exactly how it was. It was really amazing. So everything that he teaches is coming from this really authentic place, and of course, he's just practiced uh, a ton even after that. It was quite amazing, his view. Awakening is really possible. It's something all of us can achieve because it is the potential of mind itself. Even the first few moments of genuine mindfulness are a turning point in our lives because we realize, perhaps for the first time, that the mind can be trained, can be understood, can be liberated. We get, a glimpse, we get glimpses of something beyond our ordinary, conventional reality 
touching a space that transforms our vision of who we are and what the world is. And we understand that there is a direct and clearly artic articulated path to this end. These in intimations give passionate meaning to questions of ultimate truth because although we might not always be living in that space, we understand it to be the source of everything we value. Awakening is really possible. It's something that all of us can achieve because it is the potential of the mind itself. So I want to just meditate for a few moments. I want to meditate on, on nothing but not even the thought but the knowing to as much as we're capable of the knowing that we already are what we're seeking. So just allowing the eyes to close if they're not closed already. And in the same way that you would relax after a hard day's worth of work, maybe a hard day's a hard day of manual labor where you've worked yourself all throughout the day. You've accomplished everything that you set to accomplish. You feel this deep sense of contentment for this day and your accomplishments. nothing more that needs to be done. You can even imagine like maybe flinging yourself down on your bed, arms wide open, letting out a long deep breath that says, I'm content.
and just loving every single aspect of self. Absolutely perfect, just as it is. I would want you to know that every part of you is magnificent. Your ego, intellect, body, and spirit. It is who you are. A beautiful product of this universe's creation. Every aspect of you is perfect. There is nothing to let go. Nothing to forgive. Nothing to attain. You already are everything you need to be. It could seem so complicated, but it's not. The only thing you need to learn is that you already are what you're seeking to attain. Just express your uniqueness fearlessly with abandon. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.